When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This Is The Jet Life. Holy smokes, we actually won edition. That's right, the Jets win this game against the Cleveland Browns 31-30 to in epic fashion. A game that they had been losing since the very beginning, all the way through. They were down 30-17, to and all hope was lost many points throughout this game. They ran all over us. Our defense couldn't stop anything. Joe Flacco had some time, but it wasn't enough to keep up with what the Browns were doing. We made Jacoby Brissett look like a demigod. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, big old games from those guys, rushing 184 yards. I said going into this game, I thought the Jets would win, but the goal was to keep this team like under 120 yards rushing. Anything over 140 would be a nightmare. And defensively, it kind of was a nightmare. This game was not good from a defensive side of the ball. But when you look at the offense... And you look at the special teams and some really gritty, huge performances and some breakout stars. There was a lot to like in this game. It was tough to watch for a lot of it because the team was losing. I mean, it was all but lost with two minutes to go. But crazy things have happened. The Jets scrape out a wing and an all-time win that we're going to be remembering and talking about 20, 30 years down the road. People will remember this game. Hey, it has happened before. Remember that one time the team did it? Yeah, this is that time. And we beat the Browns, who said coming in was a really good litmus test for us. Are the Jets better than the Browns, who have a lot of talent on paper, but they're not really putting it all together always? They're a little bit more talented than the end result. The Jets on the other side, you know, we've got good pieces. We're getting there, but we just can't find the results. You'd think the coaching staff would be good enough and the players would be good enough to, like, really start to win some games. And to see the resilience, to see the bounce back, and the teams and players that groups that totally redeemed themselves this week versus the first week against the Ravens. It was just absolutely awesome. The team is 1-1. One one. It's only 500, but that's way better than it's been in September recently. We'd lost 13 straight September home games. I was looking back through records of this team, and just year after year, since the Fitzpatrick season in 2015, year after year, we start off either winless or like 1-3, 1-5. Every single year, the season is basically over before it's even gotten going. And I don't know what's going to happen next week against the Bengals or against the Steelers, Dolphins. I mean, we got good teams coming up against this Jets this Jets roster, but at the end of the day, we're 1-1 one one right now, and we're looking at a Bengals team that we can be at home this Sunday coming up, and there's a lot to be excited about. So this is going to be an audio-only edition of the podcast. Nothing on YouTube today. Um, 
Katie wasn't available. I got a lot of stuff coming up. I got the wedding this weekend. It's it's all nuts. I mean, the amount of planning and prepping that I'm doing for that, trying to play on this podcast on top of it, I apologize in advance if I make any uh, mistakes, mess something up, whatever. It's like, listen, I got other things I got to deal with right now, but we got to do a podcast today because this episode doesn't happen all that often. I was trying to think of like, I've been doing this podcast for what, like four or five years and how many games have the Jets won in September? Like, games that actually felt meaningful. We've had so many evaluation periods and evaluation games. Well, use this as an evaluation game the remainder of the season, yada, yada. At this point in time, two weeks in, we're not evaluating. We're clawing, we're fighting, we're trying to make the playoffs right now. And the AFC, that's supposed to be a stacked AFC, is like 3-5 uh, and five against the NFC so far. Bunch of losses from teams like the Raiders, Colts, the Titans, teams that you'd think would maybe be showing up aren't showing up right now. The Broncos are struggling. I mean, there's opportunity for this Jets team. Wee, baby, let's go. Let's get into it. Before uh, we do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to anywhere this podcast is found. It'll be found anywhere that podcasts are found. It just won't be on YouTube this time. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Have a lot of fun over there as well on Twitter. But yeah, that is a. Uh, that's it. We can just get into the freaking podcast now. Starting with news and nuggets about this team. Starting with the win. It's been 21 years. That's 2,229 games where a team has been trailing by 13 points with under two minutes to go, and none of those teams won. In 21 years, the Jets were the first team to do it in that amount of time. That's crazy. This doesn't happen. That's one in 2,000. Right. At one point in this game, it was 99.9% win probability for the Browns. These games don't happen in a lifetime for a team. And we got to see it. It truly is an all-time win. And what an ability to like rally and come back and do that at the end of the game. They also scored with 11 seconds left in the first half. A touchdown pass to Brees Hall that, like again, just when the clock was draining, the Jets were making stuff happen. It felt like when the, the pressure was strongest and they had to score must-score moments, the team, they found it. Great to see. There was uh, some news today about a UK brand. Charles Tierwit is going to be doing some partnership with the Jets for some branding and stuff. I think they're going to be doing a lot of sponsorships. We're probably going to see that um, Charles Tierwit brand around the stadium and maybe some commercials and whatnot. They're going to be maybe making some Jets-related clothing and doing some like videos with Braxton Berrios and maybe some other players in the team about fashion and things like that. So I don't know. The Jets thought it was worth telling everybody, so I was like, I did a little looking into it. What the heck are they talking about? I was wondering if somebody else is going to start making the jerseys, not Nike anymore. But, no, nah, it's just going to be like a, a little partnership with a clothing company in the U.K. I don't know. Kind of interesting, I guess, if you're into that stuff. Also, Garrett Wilson is currently eligible to be voted into the Pepsi Rookie of the Week. I don't know if you remember the uh, <laughs> awards from last year where Jets fans went absolutely buck wild every single time. You could think some of those uh, <laughs> those Twitter Jets guys like NYJ Matt NYJ Mike that just absolutely hammer like, vote, vote. And I'll be honest, I voted like probably 40 times because there's no cap on voting for these rookies of the week or player of the week or offensive performer of the week. It's just like you can refresh the page and do it over and over as many times as you want. And since I've got nothing better to do and I love the Jets more than anything and this would be equal to a win, it's like, okay, we can't win games, but maybe we can have the rookie of the week and we can convince ourselves that way through accolades and little honors that we're doing better than we are. I don't know what it is, but I feel the need to vote and make sure our guys get noticed. So hopefully, hopefully Garrett Wilson pulls it out over Aiden Hutchinson, who also had a great game. Garrett Wilson, baby, let's go. So you can find that on the NFL, uh, NFL.com. 
search like Pepsi Rookie of the Week, and then you can vote for Garrett Wilson. All right, so that is news and nuggets. Now, the next order of business, and this is what I'm going to do for the remainder of the podcast moving forward for this season, I believe. Didn't do it last year, but I think it's a good segment and kind of makes sense to start a podcast episode off. It's talking the positives of the team, always starting positive, and the negatives from the game, and then an overall kind of thought on what we just witnessed the previous Sunday, right? So starting with the positives this game, the number one obvious, the New York Jets win the football game. It was epic. It was incredible. It never happens. This is an all-time remember it game, and it wasn't at a pointless point in the season where the Jets are like one and twelve and they won the game in epic fashion. This was like when we lose to the Raiders and Greg Williams sends the house and a guy's wide open, and it's like how the hell could we be in single coverage in a situation like this when you just need one big play? This is like if that happened four times, the level of just meltdown that the Browns experienced in this game. Nick Chubb didn't have to score. The Jets get an onside kick. They blow coverage on Corey Davis. They play prevent defense where Joe Flacco wants to be standing there. Joe Flacco's at his best when he can just stand back and deliver. So they go prevent defense at the end. It's just like everything aligns for the Jets to win this game. It never happens. We're 1-1. One one. We're in the playoff race right now. We're technically in the division race right now, even though it doesn't look like anybody's going to beat the Bills, and who knows about the Dolphins. But it's you got to feel good about that. The next biggest thing is a star is being born right before our eyes, and it is awesome. Garrett Wilson had a massive week in this game. And a lot of people really liked what he did week one, even though his snap share was down below Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. This week it was as well. Elijah Moore is still getting the lion's share of the snaps. Corey Davis right behind him. And then you got Garrett Wilson, about 61% of snaps. But the guy gets 14 targets in this game after being left wide open a few times in the first game, and he was missed. Joe Flacco gets the ball in Garrett Wilson's hands. He did some amazing things. We're going to talk about him in the wide receiver section, but like to have a guy like this at wide receiver for the Jets, it just doesn't happen. When you look at the all-time Jets receivers, it's like Don Maynard, a true legend. He is our best. He has 11,000 career yards to the team. Wesley Walker, really good player. Then you get to like Wayne Corbett, and I'm going to do no Wayne slander because he's one of my favorite players of all time, but he wasn't that like do-everything star-style receiver. He was more of a possession guy that could get the job done. Mr. Third down, go up and get the ball. They had some other guys, too, some decent tight ends, Mickey Schuler and Jerome Barkham. No discredit to them, but that's not a wide receiver. You're talking all-time Jets wide receivers, and you got Jericho Cotteries in the top seven receiving yards of all time for the Jets, and Jericho Cotteries was a great player, but in like a team that's existed for 60 years, that absolutely should not be the case. you got Robbie Anderson. is like borderline top 10 in receiving yards for the Jets. I think he's 11. That's ridiculous. This team doesn't have wide receivers. Not young wide receiver talent. We've gotten some rental players here and there. Eric Decker was here for a bit, really good. Brandon Marshall was here for an even shorter amount of time, but he was really good. I mean, we've had good old lines, great defensive lines over the years. We've had some good linebackers, some really good running backs, but not wide receivers. And they don't draft him either. I mean, drafting him... Tenth overall this year was a surprise. They never do that in the first round since Keyshawn Johnson. But to see him play like this and have one of those performances that you see and you envy in other teams when you watch like the Jalen Waddles and the Jamar Chases, the C.D. Lambs, the Justin Jeffersons, just these stars from other teams, the wide receiver position, it's super flashy, easy to root for, easy for kids to buy jerseys of and to you know, mimic in their yard trying to pretend to be Odell Beckham Jr. and this and that. We haven't had that style of player on the Jets and it's been something that in my whole lifetime, I'm like, listen, I love some of the teams we've had, and I just always wish that we had a big-time passing attack just for a couple seasons just to see. You know, maybe one year it's not about the ground and pound and big defense to win the game and just 
gridded out. I know it would drive me nuts if we didn't have that, but it's such a nice change of pace, and Garrett Wilson right before our eyes could be a star in the league, and we're seeing it two weeks into the season. He already has taken off. He has no history in the NFL of being unsuccessful at what he's doing. And some of the moves he put, especially that fade touchdown on his first one, where he did like a little shimmy rate, shimmy shake on a stick route and then goes to the sideline, it was like the cornerback was just left there standing in the shoe. was like, I, I don't know which way you're going. He was four yards off. Easy touchdown for Garrett Wilson. We can expect that sort of stuff in single coverage. And the more they look at him, the more we're going to get opportunities for Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, even Mims if he's on the field. It's just, it's awesome. Star is born. We're going to talk about Garrett Wilson a little bit more later. Um, Brees Hall was also really good, so another rookie shining offensively this time, right? We got a little bit more offense in this game than defense. First game was the opposite. Brees Hall had that first touchdown, 50 yards rushing, a nice yards per carry average. He only ran seven times. He had a that 10-yard receiving touchdown. I think Max Mitchell, the other offensive rookie, had a little bit to, uh, to prove in this game. He went up against Jadavian Clowney, who was a, a much better player than people he's gone up against in college, and he actually did pretty well. I mean, he gave up a strip sack, which sucked. But for the most part, considering what we're honestly rolling out there, keeping in mind that Becton is down, then Dwayne Brown is down, we don't have Chuma, Doga, Connor McDermott's banged up, we're rolling out this mid-round draft pick rookie from the Sun Belt to play right tackle against Jadavian Clowney in Week 2. It's like, if that whole team is going to get two sacks against us, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney, and Max Mitchell's one of the starting tackles, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. So he didn't get Joe Flacco killed. That's his job, is to learn the NFL, build up that strength, Learn what it's like to go up against a guy like Davian Clowney in different styles within the NFL. You know, get your feet wet. Start to understand the NFL speed without getting the quarterback killed. He did that in this game. Got to feel good about that. Even Jeremy Rucker got some snaps, the other offensive rookie. So definitely some positives there. Another positive was the special teams redemption. And this was a hot-button issue for a lot of people last week. My dad, specifically on his father time, did not like what we got from the special teams. Greg Zerline, Braden Mann specifically, and both of those players absolutely balled out in this one. So redemption for them was awesome. The offensive line improvements. We talked about Max Mitchell, but overall just only giving up two sacks against that defensive front where you were worried that they'd be killing Joe Flacco all day long, and you know if Joe Flacco's under crazy pressure, he's never going to be successful. He wasn't great in this game, but they did enough to get him time to get the ball downfield. And the last positive, the overall health of this team. Not a lot of injuries going on right now. People are getting healthier. We left this game. You don't want to jinx anything. I'm going to knock on wood for this again. But right now, to the start of this 2022 campaign, aside from like a Mackay Becton and a Dwayne Brown, we're actually doing pretty well health-wise. So if that can continue, that's really going to help this team as well. So the negatives of the game, definitely some negatives. They do win 31-30, to but it was very, very tight. And when you look at it, they ran the ball down our throat. 184 rushing yards, five yards of carry. You don't want to have that. The defense just couldn't make a stop. Jacoby Brissett looked amazing against us. He wasn't throwing incomplete passes. We weren't sacking him. He wasn't risking turnovers or anything like that. He was super comfortable getting the ball in little check downs, passing it off to the tight ends of the running backs, finding Amari Cooper when he wanted to. And that's not what we wanted to see against a quarterback like Jacoby Brissett. So that was a little bit of a, of a bummer. It also did require an entire Browns meltdown to win the game. We were Nick Chubb taking a knee or Kareem Hunt staying in bounds on a few run plays away from being 0-2 and having a totally different style podcast, a totally different vibe on this episode today. Right? Like, 
this easily could have been a totally different story. I mean, when you look at, like, Joe Flacco, for example, before the end of the game, he had, like, 184 passing yards before the final two minutes, two touchdowns and a turnover. It's not like we were just lighting them up on offense. Yeah, he ended up at 300 yards. 65 came on one pass to Corey Davis, a bunch against prevent defense. The final numbers look good. The final score looks good. But for this game, like, I'm sitting there. I didn't enjoy the experience watching this game. And by the time the Jets finally won, I was more stunned than happy. I mean, I was obviously ecstatic. But it was just like, what in the world is happening? And so I'm sitting on the couch for like this whole day with my dad. We're arguing like, well, what's the issue? Is it Joe? No, the offensive line. Well, if we start all these things that we're going through, you know, why are we 0-2? We lost this Browns team. I really would have thought we'd get after Jacoby Brissett. What happened to the defense? Is Albrecht the problem? And the Jets come back and win the thing, stun us all. And the end result, amazing. But the reasons that we were there in the first place, that leaves you to worry a little bit. Another negative, the tight end isn't really a strength for the team right now. And you thought signing Tyler Conklin to a big deal, CJ Uzama to a big deal, drafting Jeremy Rucker, transitioning a guy like Lawrence Cager, you thought maybe the tight end would be a very nice security blanket for Joe Flacco or whoever would be playing quarterback for the Jets. But so far, Tyler Conklin has struggled in his role. CJ Uzama's banged up, didn't even suit up for this game. Lawrence Cager had to be replaced with Jeremy Rucker, a rookie who dropped a ball in this game. And it's just not really a huge output position for the Jets right now. We invested a lot into it. I expect it to get better as the year goes on. But right now, it's a work in progress and something to be a little bit concerned about. And then last, the missed tackles and the questions at safety. Um, There were way too many missed tackles in this game. Linebackers missed tackles. The safeties missed tackles. A couple times, Jordan Whitehead tried to uh, put a shoulder into a guy or a body in, didn't take him down. LaMarcus Joyner, you know, them getting beat, them not really having great coverage. Trying Tony Adams on the field. Ashton Davis comes in for one snap. Will Parks is back on the roster, moved up from the practice squad. It feels like the Jets are also kind of not sure what to do at safety. It feels like more moves are going to happen. Like, Jordan Whitehead we know is going to be staying in his position, but maybe not LaMarcus Joyner. Maybe one of these other guys is kind of working their way towards replacing him and might not be the worst thing in the world. You just have to make sure the guy's ready and it's the right guy. So the questions there are the last negative. But at the end of the day, the overall take in this one, Garrett Wilson and Joe Flacco, some incredible special teams play. All that good stuff helped the Jets capitalize on a literally catastrophic Browns meltdown, right? It's an all-time win for the Jets. Great to see Joe Flacco take a knee right on Brownie the Elf's eyeball. Like, at the very end of the game, that was perfect. Dead center, right on top of Brownie. That stupid elf that was there all all game long. Takes a knee right on it. Awesome. There were a ton of bad streaks for the Jets, like winning in September and, and starting seasons off and... All that, that stuff is all gone now. The Jets win the game. They've proven that the impossible is possible. And we have to feel pretty good right now at 1-1 one one looking at Cincinnati. So feeling good. Feeling really good. We know how I'm feeling. Question is, how's Dave Burnham, the old father time, feeling about this Jets win? An almost loss. So this week's father time, written by my dad, David Burnham, is titled, Don't Look Back. And this is the email that I received today. Here we go. Don't expect the new-look Jets to win pretty. It isn't going to happen as you watch on Sunday afternoons. But when you re-watch and review stats, there are things that make you smile. Joe Flacco has thrown two straight 300-yard games and only one interception. He's holding down the fort, and Zach is right around the corner. Don't listen to the if-onlys and yeah, but... And of course, it was luck that... Fine. 
People are going to say that, and I'll plug my ears and take the win. As someone once said, we're on to Cincinnati. With a sneaky win in our pocket, too. I take back everything I said about the kicking game last week. It was off the charts stellar. We're lucky to have Joe Douglas, who gave us this gritty, electric young talent. Garrett Wilson is a star among Jets fans in two weeks, and the rest of the NFL in New York City are taking notice and taking notes. The Carter-Hall tandem is lethal, and Sauce was finally tested and weathered the storm with five tackles and a pass deflection. Remember how young our team is and how many new players are on the field. Most teams don't have six new or out-of-position starters on both sides of the ball. There's some catching up to do, but it looks like we can go toe-to-toe now, so imagine what lies ahead. Here is my advice to all Jets fans, and budding Jets fans. Don't listen to the naysayers. The if-onlys, the yeah-buts, it's all just budding envy. And don't look back. This team has nothing to do with the past. This is the beginning of the new New York Jets. Enjoy the Jet renaissance. You deserve it. We deserve it. We've waited for it, and we're ready for it. This is going to get fun. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa, Dado. Holy moly, he is optimistic and he's excited. And I think he spent a little bit of time on gangreennation.com just listening to. That can be a very cynical site. I love it. I love the content they put out. John B. does an awesome job. But that, and a lot of Jets sites, given the franchise's history and everything that's happened over the past 60 years and the toughness that it's had to, to be a fan of this team, mixed with like the grit and the anger of the Northeast New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, um, it can be a very tough sort of toxic environment to try to be a fan. A lot of negativity, and my dad's trying to be positive right now. You know, he's waiting for a great Jets team. He's getting older. We've been watching this for a long time. We're looking for a Jets Super Bowl, and there's good things in the making here, and he's absolutely right. I don't know if it's the Jets renaissance. I don't know if this is all going to go as planned and we're going to start winning games and it's going to be awesome. There's a scenario where we lose next week to Cincinnati, lose to the Steelers, lose to the Dolphins. We play the Bills, the Broncos, the Packers, and all of a sudden we're like, one and seven. There's a scenario where that happens. Where Zach Wilson struggles instantly. We're like, wow, we have to go to somebody else. We got to find a new quarterback. We reset the whole thing. Who knows what's going to happen around the corner. But he's absolutely right that there is a ton to be excited about. And Joe Douglas has given us this talent that has the electric feel and the ability to do games like this, to have performances like that from Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. Like, we are revamping this entire roster. And We don't need to look back at the past. The Jets have sucked recently. They sucked before that. They sucked before that. They've sucked plenty of times throughout history, but you know what? They've always found a better year ahead. There's always been something to look forward to. We had a Super Bowl. Things got dark. We had a sack exchange. Things got dark. 2,000. Vinny Testaverde Jets could have been amazing. Things got dark. Chad Pennington gave us some light. Got dark. New coaches. Mark Sanchez brings us to two back-to-back AFC championship games, a game away from the Super Bowl. We had a little bit of life with Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is one of our longer stretches, probably. But there's no reason to think that it's not going to turn around. And this right now gives you reason to think that this is it. I love what my dad is saying. He's trying to turn the naysayers away. Let's just enjoy what we have right now. He's absolutely right. Because this doesn't have... I mean, granted, I, I will play devil's advocate a little bit. We lost the first game pretty soundly. And we lost this game for like 46 and a half minutes. So it really wasn't a great viewer experience the entire way through. But we did win the game. So when you start putting things like this on tape and paper and you do win, it's like before you think to yourself, we have an onside kick. Yeah, we never get those. We lost the game. But now that this has happened, I feel like we as fans have to believe, the players have to believe, the coaching staff, everybody kind of has to believe like 
this Jets team isn't really out of it because we have done it before. It's not like we could get the onside kick and we could go down and we've done it. There's proof to it. The words have meaning and it's awesome. I'm glad my dad is optimistic. I'm optimistic. I hope more people are. I hope uh, we can enjoy this because it doesn't happen all the time. You know, there are good seasons, there are bad seasons. We've been in a bit of a rut and we don't know where it's going to end. But for crying out loud, we're one and run right now. We won a game in September. Epic fashion. Let's freaking go, Jets. Thank you for the father time, Dad. I'm also glad that he uh, gave a little credit to the special teams because we know that he wasn't feeling super great about them after week one. So, all is well in Jets world after a win. That is this week's father time. Before we go over to an AFC check-in, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. Holy smokes, we actually won edition. All right, we're going to do an AFC East check-in. Then we're going to talk offense, defense, special teams against the Browns. We're going to close it off with a Bengals preview. And that's all we got for this one. So we are going to do AFC East check-in, starting with the division-leading Buffalo Bills, who look absolutely dominant. After beating the Super Bowl champion Rams in Los Angeles and beating them soundly, they play last year's best record in the AFC. And A.J. Brown's not there. Derrick Henry's not exactly the same. That... Titans team is nowhere near as talented as it was last year, and they probably got a little lucky last year with a really bad AFC South as well. A lot of things going in their favor. But for the Bills to beat them 41-7 to on Monday Night Football and the Bills to pull their starters on offense, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, in the third quarter, I mean, they could have put up 60 if they wanted to. Crazy what they're doing right now. They arguably have the best offense in the NFL. They arguably have the best defense in the NFL. They arguably have the best coaching staff in the NFL. It's ridiculous what they're doing. I can't believe that we went through 20-plus years of Tom Brady and the Patriots being what they were. And the second he leaves and he goes to the NFC, the Bills create this freaking powerhouse. They're 2-0. Their next game is against the Miami Dolphins at 1 p.m. on Sunday. And, of course, the Dolphins look great. How the hell are the Dolphins 2-0 now? They beat the Patriots in Week 1, a division rival who they're pretty good against, but, like, that's a big win beating Bill Belichick. Then they go on to take the Ravens, which I said was like a really good litmus test to see where they were because the Ravens are, in my opinion, a Super Bowl contender for sure. A playoff team probably going to win that division, in my estimation. And the Ravens are winning that game soundly. It was like, I don't know, 35 to 14. The Dolphins and Tua Tungabailoa come back. Tua throws six touchdowns. They get over 180 yards and two touchdowns from both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, who now look like the two most explosive and dangerous wide receivers in the entire NFL. That defense is good. It's uh, it's becoming a really scary team. So now there's the Bills, who we know are like an elite-level team. And the Dolphins look super scary, too. The Jets can still compete, absolutely, for a playoff spot being in this division. But if the Jets are good this year, this is going to be arguably as good as the AFC West very soon because we know the Bills are there. The Dolphins are right behind him. I'm not sold on Tua Tungabailoa. He had the six touchdowns. First half wasn't so good. But I really think, like, those two receivers, Tyreek Hill is an all-time talent, what he can do with the ball in his hands. Jalen Waddell is potentially on his way to become that as well. I think any quarterback could flourish in that offense with those two wide receivers. Just get the ball in their hands and let them freaking cook. If Tua gets good and starts getting great accuracy and great rhythm and chemistry with these guys on top of their ability, now... It's a little scary. And the Bills even have to be scared. So this is going to be a huge game to see. Two 2-0 two teams. The winner of this game is going to have sole possession of the AFC East. The other team is going to be 2-1. and one. 
right now, this is going to be Bills favored by five and a half points. Played in Miami, so they're obviously giving the Bills a little bit of the edge here. They probably should. Dolphins haven't proven it yet, but this would be a huge prove-it game for the Dolphins. And if they win it, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. It's going to break the internet, and people are going to be all aboard the freaking Tua train. So anyways, I don't even know if I finished that thought. The Dolphins came back and beat the Baltimore Ravens. A great team, 42-38 to 38 in the final seconds. Crazy good comeback from them. It was one of those, there were so many comebacks in the league this week. I mean, the Jets was the most um, improbable at the end of the game, but the Dolphins, like, started it a little bit earlier and did it for longer. And, yeah, so the Dolphins win that one. They're 2-0. Bills are 2-0. You got the uh, Patriots. They're 1-1 just like the Jets. The Patriots just beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, 17-14. to Close game. Again, it was like Patriots' defense is okay. Their offense not so great. Steelers do have a good defense. It is in Pittsburgh. You are playing a banged-up Najee Harris and Mitch Trubisky at quarterback with not a great offensive line. So the Patriots, if they're an okay team, should be able to beat the Steelers, and they did. So the Patriots, unfortunately, are not going to be like the laughing stock at the NFL this year. They're going to be able to scrape out wins against bad teams. Probably not going to win too many, maybe one or two against good teams. But um, the Jets are going to be the team that uh, has to beat them, right? If we don't want to finish in last place, if we want to be competing for the playoffs, we've got to beat the Patriots this year. Uh, the Patriots play next game home, Gillette Stadium against Baltimore, also at 1 p.m. So the entire AFC East playing at 1 p.m. in big-time games. Jets playing Cincinnati to go to 2-1. and one. Bills and Dolphins rivalry match there. And then Patriots taking on the Ravens. And that should be a pretty good kind of gauge of where those two teams are, too, because if the Ravens are as good as I think they are, they're going to win that game. And if the Patriots are as bad as I hope they are, they're going to lose that game. But if it goes the other way, then it's like, all right, the Ravens have a lot of work to do. The Patriots are getting dangerous. They're starting to cook. They weathered the storm of, like, a slow start, and now they're getting better. We don't want that. So we'll see what happens. But right now the Bills and Dolphins are the top of the AFC East, and that big matchup's going to have a lot of eyes on it. Now moving over to just kind of like a Browns-Jets recap start in offense, then defense, then special teams. We're going to go position by position, as we always do. And we're going to start with the quarterback, as we always do. Joe Flacco in this game finishes 307 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He had the one strip sack over Max Mitchell from Davion Clowney. But he had a game-winning drive. Joe Flacco, if you saw him at the end of the game, cheering, dancing, jumping with the team, he looked like a boy. I've never seen cool Joe Joe Serious, be that freaking happy. And it was awesome. And I've said bad things about Joe. I called him a statue. I've said things like he's not really capable of running this offense the way we need it to be run. He doesn't execute the game plan, yada, yada. Even last week, I wasn't pleased with the performance. But I was so happy for him to see, obviously, the comeback, but then to see him celebrate, it's like, I'm rooting for this guy. I want him to do well. I know that he had the ability I just feel like he's probably lost it, and given the youth and, and just, like, new, immature nature of this whole Jets team and the chemistry issues and, like, just a bunch of new parts and pieces, like, not a great situation for a guy that can't move that well to be in there. But he wins this game. Awesome. A negative spin, as I said before, you look at the first 46 minutes of the game, he had 184 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, or one fumble. So it wasn't like he was just dominating the whole way through. He had a big pass to Corey Davis for 65. He had a nice prevent defense drive capped off with the Garrett Wilson game-winning touchdown. But it wasn't like he was playing amazing football all day long. He did do what he had to do. This is what a backup is supposed to be. 
a gritty, tough, stay with it, veteran performance that we needed to weather the storm when Zach Wilson's out. And Zach is coming back. This is not Joe Flacco's team for the remainder of the year. Can we scrape out a couple wins with them? We just did. So feeling very good about Joe Flacco. Um, the Mike White hopeful are quieted right now as Joe is locked in and ready to go for week three against the Bengals. Zach is progressing, though. He's doing drills. He was doing some seven-on-sevens. He's expected back against the Steelers still in week four unless there's any setbacks. When you move over to the wide receivers, it starts with the offensive player of the game. i got to start with Garrett Wilson. This guy is a budding superstar. You can see it in his attitude, his ego. It's a little bit flashy. He's got a little bit of chippiness and cockiness to him, but he's still got that humbleness. It's like the perfect combination of he's not an asshole, he's not a douche, but he is cool. He knows he's good, and he wants to beat you. And in this game, playing 60% of snaps about, he had 14 targets. Eight of those were catches. He had a horrible drop. Yes, at the end of the game, there was a very, very bad drop that he would have hated if the game ended like that. But he was able to cap it off with his second touchdown of the game, a game winner on a 102-yard performance, and he is taking the NFL by storm right now. This was like an incredible wide receiver performance. It was an incredible Jets wide receiver performance. It was an incredible NFL rookie wide receiver performance. The game-winning touchdown to cap it all off, you love to see it. He is a future star. He is our offensive player of the game, and he is absolutely going to change this entire offense because before it was Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and you had Garrett Wilson behind. Now you've got Elijah Moore, who's only going to get better as Garrett Wilson gets better. You're moving Garrett Wilson up. CJ, da- uh, Corey Davis is still an extremely good player. Braxton Barrios is behind that. It's like the depth of this receiving group is so freaking cool. They got two cool running backs, two tight ends that should be great with a young one growing. It's like, man, this offense could be so much fun if we get that quarterback position find out, figured out and we start getting some chemistry. Mm. I have been dreaming of elite players on the Jets. Dreaming of elite guys. Identity-forming guys. You look at the Rams, you think of Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. Right? You look at... The Bills, you think of Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. You're just, your team is defined by your stars. And the Jets haven't had that in so long. It's like, I guess we're defined by Quinn and Williams and, you know, Braxton Berrios. Like, it's not the same level of, of star power. It's not the same level of identity. And Garrett Wilson is helping build that with the Jets right now. And we're becoming a cool, fun team to root for. All that aside, we're going to start winning games because of it. So, love the offensive player of the game. Garrett Wilson, his second game ever as a Jet, second game in the NFL. He's already winning the honors. Love to see it. Then you have Elijah Moore, who demanded the highest snap count in this game as he did in week one. He's kind of like the, like I said last week, he's the reliable receiver that can play in every single package. You can put him inside, outside. He can do it all, and he's going to do it at a high level. Um, He didn't have a ton of productivity in this game specifically, but he did have five targets. Three catches for 41 yards on a quiet day. A couple nice little toe tappers. Big time catches when we needed them. Nice long of 18. Corey Davis. I went out on a limb for him last week. Said he's our most productive wide receiver on this team. Consistently, week in, week out, he gets it done. And he was super quiet in this game. But then he had a 66-yard freaking comeback to the game moment where the defense broke down. Denzel Ward, I have no idea what the hell he was thinking in that zone defense. There was nobody else even near him on that side of the field. They're playing prevent. How in the hell does Corey Davis get behind you that many yards? And they don't even try to keep up with him. It was pathetic from the Browns. Glad it was their team, not ours. Corey Davis finishes with 83 yards and a touchdown. So statistically a great game. Minimal productivity throughout, but he ends up doing a great play. Got to be happy with Corey Davis. 
The only other receiver to catch the ball is Jeff Smith. He had one catch for 17 yards, and it came from Braden Mann. We're going to talk about that awesome play later on. Looking at the tight ends without C.J. Uzama in this game, Cager didn't play. It was Tyler Conklin getting the lion's share of the snaps. Six receptions for 40 yards. He fumbled the ball again. Thank God Max Mitchell jumped on top of it. He had nine targets, and it's just a position that hasn't given us everything that we were hoping for so far. They did have a garbage-time touchdown last week to Tyler Conklin. He did have six receptions this week, which was the second highest in the team behind only Garrett Wilson. He did have 40 yards, which is, you know, he's getting activity. He did have a couple nice big first down catches that I love to see, but uh, it wasn't everything that I expected so far. That said, we haven't even played with Zach Wilson yet. This offense hasn't even started to be what it's supposed to be for this year yet. Jeremy Ruckert played. He had a couple really nice blocks in the running game, a couple nice little chips to help out the tackles. He did have one target, dropped it. That was unfortunate, but he's going to get his chance. And he's a little bit more standard, prototypical tight end, what you'd expect, way more than like a Lawrence Cage or a Kenny Yaboa. And I feel way more comfortable having Jeremy Rucker on the field, even though he's not like a mismatch or a real weapon in the return receiving game yet. At least he knows how to block, and you can just tell that he's like polished in that. Um, he's going to get better, of course, but he has nice, clean seals, and uh, he definitely got the Jets running backs a couple extra yards on some plays. So that is our receiving game. You move over to the running backs. The Jets ran 20 times in this game, 93 total yards, 4.7 yard per carry. That's really good efficiency. We didn't get over 100 yards rushing, which I love to see from a Jets team, especially in a win. But 4.7, I'm never going to argue that. This is Brees Hall's best game. He's only played two. But last week he had a couple tough plays, bad fumble, a couple nice runs. This week... He has no real glaring issues. Seven rushes for 50 yards, one catch for 10 yards, and a touchdown. He wasn't targeted nearly as much in the passing game, but he was effective when he got the ball, and he was part of that two-headed monster that we want to see. Michael Carter, not quite as efficient running the ball. He was at 3.3 yards per carry. He also had seven carries, just like Brees, but only 23 yards to Brees' 50. That said, Michael Carter, five catches, 27 yards receiving, some really nice plays at the end of the game, like getting extra yardage, getting out of bounds, Keep in mind, like, when he and Tyler Conklin and the players catching the ball in the very last drive of this game, if they don't get out of bounds, Jets have no timeouts. The game could easily end. There might not be enough time on the clock. But the guys were dropping the balls that were thrown in the middle of the field. I don't know if Ty Johnson did that on purpose. I don't know if Tyler Conklin did that on purpose. But they didn't catch the balls in the middle of the field. They caught them on the outside. They got outside, got a couple extra yards, and got out of bounds. And that's what helped set up that final drive to get that touchdown to Garrett Wilson. So, Really smart, good play from Michael Carter. He finishes with over 50 scrimmage yards, so definitely a a weapon on offense. Just not the rushing attack you normally see from him. Ty Johnson, he said, was in on a couple plays. He had uh, ended up one catch for four yards. He had that drop. If he didn't do it on purpose, he's got a case case of the drops. He's again, just like last year, that wouldn't be great. I like to think that he did it on purpose to help the team win. And now talking about the guys that got us those rushing yards, that gave Brees Hall this big day, is that offensive line. And overall, you got to be really, really happy with the performance of the O-line. You're going up against the Cleveland Browns, whose strength is definitely in Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, that pass rush, those dangerous guys. And when you saw what we had last week with Max Mitchell making his first start, some struggles there, and then George Fant, who really struggled against the old Justin Houston, you're like, I hope we can do better. Even Lakin Tomlinson struggled last week against the Ravens. And in this week, the Jets only give up two sacks to Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. They have 4.7 yards per carry on the ground, 
And you got to feel really good about the team as a whole. On the left side, George Fant absolutely improved over last week, playing against Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's out of the way. We don't play him again this year. We might not even play him next year. Thank God. George Fant, yeah, not a perfect game by any means. But what do you expect in that matchup, honestly? Miles Garrett should have his way with him. Could have been much, much worse. Feel good about it. Lakin Tomlinson, he was much improved this week over last week. He had a lot of trouble. Didn't look himself this week. Some really nice run blocks. You saw him get downfield. You saw him knock some people over. Some play to the whistle. Gritty, grindy plays. I like what I saw from Lakin. I want to see Connor McGovern stop getting illegal man downfield penalties. I want to see his snaps be a little bit higher. Felt like that last drive of the game, it was like 15 snaps in a row were like ankle and knee high for Joe Flacco. And I was just waiting for one of them to be dropped. Luckily, cool Joe caught every single one of them. But like, all right, in the pistol and shotgun, let's get it up a little bit. Not too high, not Spencer Long high, but like, you know, a reasonable chest high. Elijah Vera Tucker, he wasn't perfect in game one. He was awesome in game two, specifically in the run blocking as well. I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker is that guard that we've been wishing we had. He's like that guard of old, you know. We've had so many good offensive linemen over the years, and it's been kind of a struggle the last few Elijah Vera Tucker is that guy that I trust 100%. I don't care if he's on the left side, the right side. I love what he brings to the team. I'm so happy we have him, traded up for him. Elijah Vera Tucker is a budding star, probably going to be a pro bowler this year. If I'm just predicting right now, AVT, this is his year. And then Max Mitchell, who, yes, he gave up the strip sack. Yes, at times he looked like he couldn't quite handle Javian Clowney on plays. But at other times, he pushed him out just wide enough to give Joe Flacco three seconds, four seconds. It was never going to get him six seconds. He wasn't going to stand in the pocket and just really have his way downfield. But he could push the guy out wide enough to make him do a deep enough loop before he gets to him. And that's kind of what we were looking for. Max Mitchell also jumped on like a game-saving touch, uh, game-saving fumble that was dropped. I think it was Tyler Conklin. And he jumps on the ball, and if he doesn't, it's like the 15-yard line or something, and the Browns are about to score. The Jets don't score on this drive, but at least they punt the ball and get it like 45 yards downfield further. This was a huge play, Max Mitchell being alert, jumping on the ball. And the most important thing about this whole Max Mitchell experience is he just played a really good team, right? Went up against good pass rushers, even Miles Garrett at times. He did get help from the tight ends, we saw, on a few occasions, just like in week one. But at the end of the day, he's playing at a level better than probably we've ever seen from Connor McDermott already. A level equal to a Chuma Adoga already. And I'm not sure if he's going to ascend into starting right tackle for the next 15 years type of material. But I do know that I feel as good having him as a backup swing tackle or at least a right tackle backup as I did any of those other guys. And so I've been kind of like, well, Chuma's a service... As serviceable as Chuma or McDermott or Hermans or any of these people over the last few years have been, we already have that in Max Mitchell. So the fail for him at this point is like a good backup. The win for him, the big success would be a longtime starter. I feel like we already have won because he was a mid-round pick and what was I really expecting from him? I know he had great grades. I know he's one of the top-rated things. There's a pocket of people in the world that are Max Mitchell stands and maybe I will be one day too. But, like, forgive me for having my doubts minimally about this guy at first going in. I feel like it was a win. I feel like I've seen more. 
you know, Cam Clark was a huge disappointment, never got to play. Injuries were horrible. Joe Douglas hasn't had great success, but finding a mid-round guy that can fill in and do even just these two games and not get the quarterback killed is like, hell yeah. He did it right away. First year in the league. So, anyways, that's the offensive line. We are going to move to the defensive side of the ball now. Uh, I think I'm a little behind schedule here, so I'm going to probably try to speed it up. But before we get to defense, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And this week, I, I felt like last week I had nothing in the fridge. Luckily, fiance Shannon made me a, an awesome whiskey sour cocktail, but I didn't have anything. Like, if I was not to have that cocktail, I would have been drinking freaking some sort of bush light or something garbage. The Jets won, so I did something special. So I went to the package store. I went to, uh, you know, the IPA cooler, and I looked for the can that I have never seen before that looked like it would be good for this podcast. And I found this. It's called, I guess, Fugu. F-U-G-U. Fugu. Fugu. It's by Tox Brewing Company, which says it's, like, made and distributed by 12% Brewing, which is a Connecticut brewery that's really, really good. Uh, it says it was made in North Haven, Connecticut. And I don't know Tox Brewing Company. I do know 12% that was definitely somewhat in collaboration. Not sure to what extent. But this is a 16-ounce India Pale Ale can. And it's got, like, an underwater-themed can. Mostly blue with, like, uh, some little, like, underwater buildings and shipwrecks. And then there's, like, one colorful puffer fish. And that's honestly what I saw first. It's just this big yellow puffer fish in the middle of the can. And I said, what is that? And I saw it, and it was an India Pale Ale that is... 6.5% 6.5% alcohol, which is, like, my sweet spot for a nice IPA. Because I'm doing a podcast here. I don't always want to, like, on a, on a Tuesday, come back and have a 500-calorie, 8.7% beer that's going to have me feeling bloated and full and weird. Especially when I'm doing a podcast, i got a lot of things i got to remember. So that 6.5% is light enough but flavorful enough and does the trick. And when you find a nice Connecticut-based one, North Haven, Connecticut, supporting local, you know, we'll see. It's not, it isn't my favorite beer in the world. It's a little bit sweeter than I like. It doesn't have any sort of real, it tastes like every other sweet 6.5% IPA. But you know what the real draw factor to me was also? I saw the puffer fish that like pulled me in. $9.99 for a four pack. Can't go wrong with $9.99 for a four pack because I saw some other ones that were interesting. But they mark them to like $17.99. It's like, listen, I'm sure it's a really good Pilsner, but should it really be $5 a can? For crying out loud, this felt like a good deal. I felt like at $2.50 per can, I was making out on top, and that's important to me. I'm supporting local. I'm drinking Tox. I'm drinking Fugu, and I'm having fun. This is a victory week, a victory podcast in September. Life is good. And maybe that's why the beer tastes sweet. Maybe it's not even, it's like a bitter beer, but just everything tastes sweeter. Even the water tastes sweeter this week. Mm. I'd be okay with that reality. That is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before we go to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Holy cow, we actually won edition. That doesn't get old. I've never done that before. I won't do it again. I like it today. The Browns had 184 rushing yards on 37 carries. That's 5.0 yards per carry and three rushing touchdowns. Albeit the third rushing touchdown never should have happened. The Browns could have won this game. But Chubb runs in. 
Fantasy owners like myself on two teams are very happy about that, but the Jets have the opportunity to come back and win. Still, the defensive line, you were hoping for a little bit more. You knew going in the game plan was just make Jacoby Brissett throw. And yes, Jacoby Brissett finishes 22 of 27 for 229 yards and a 99 quarterback rating. So like, yeah, a pretty good game from Jacoby Brissett. Obviously having the ball in his hands wasn't super effective either because the pressure wasn't there. We only sacked him one time, but you wanted to stop the run. You didn't want Nick Chubb to have 5.1 yards per carry, 87 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Kareem Hunt to come in, 58 rushing yards on 13 carries. Even Brissett, six carries for 43 rushing yards. Last week, we held Lamar Jackson, six carries, 17 rushing yards. This week, Jacoby Brissett, who's never had 300 yards rushing in a season, six carries, 43 yards. All right, whatever. Doesn't make any sense. The Jets' defensive line didn't do great, but the Browns are built through the running game, and they're built through the offensive line. They have a very good offensive line unit. Overall, they've been there for a while. They lost, uh, forget his name, the old uh, NFLPA guy. They lost that guy, J.C. Treader. But other than that, it's like a very similar unit to what they had last year. They drafted Jedrick Wills. They got some good players. Wyatt Teller's a good player. Jack Conklin. Right, like that's a nice offensive line. And they had their way with us. We couldn't get a big pass rush. The Jets only had that one sack. It was a half Carl Lawson, half Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams was the guy that forced that sack. And that was at a crucial time in the game when the Jets really needed a stop. I think it was third and 18. Quinnen Williams goes blasting up the middle. He's got that strength this year. I know he's not showing it a ton. The rotation on that defensive line is so deep. Nobody's playing like 80% of snaps. It's just not happening. But Quinnen Williams is playing at a very, very high level. It's not showing up as much as it will. Really good offensive line this week. Last week, he looked really good. Carl Lawson got the other half of that sack. And Carl's been quiet-ish, but he's making his presence felt just enough to every single game. It's like, oh, yeah, there's Carl Lawson. At least he's showing up somewhat, right? We had a decent game from John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, and Solomon Thomas, in my opinion. Wasn't great. Obviously, the run defense could be better. But those guys showed up at times. Quiet day from Jermaine Johnson. Quiet day from Jacob Martin. Nathan Shepard, I don't know what he brings to the table. Quiet game from him. Overall, not the best defensive line performance, but we went up against one of the best rushing attacks, one of the best offensive lines in the league, and we came out with a win. So get better next week. Get after Joe Burrow because it's going to be a little bit easier next week, and if they can't do it then, then we start to panic. Right now, we don't panic. You look at the linebackers. C.J. Mosley made a couple really nice plays late in the game, but at points, like, there was this one play where he fell and Jacoby Brissett did, like, a little fake that was not that impressive, but C.J. Mosley went to the ground. He wasn't at his best either. I think everyone was a little bit nervous about this Browns rushing attack, this offensive line. Nobody on the entire defense really shined. It wasn't like last week. They were a little bit more on their heels, down the balls of their feet. And Quincy Williams, I mean, he played, like, 90% of snaps, and he didn't look that good to me. He was missing angles. He basically was responsible for either the first or second Nick Chubb rushing touchdown to the left side where he was the guy that was lined up with him, and he tried to shift laterally but just couldn't get to the outside in time. He slowed down. Nick Chubb went right there. If he fills that hole where Nick Chubb is obviously going to the outside and he gets there first, he can get a huge hit on the player, at least a nice try for a tackle, but he didn't. It was easy for Nick Chubb. A couple other times, uh, Quincy Williams missed some tackles, some bad pursuit angles. Did have a couple big hits in there. But to me, 
Quan Alexander only played about 50% of snaps. And to me, Quan Alexander is a more well-rounded, a little bit more polished of a player than Quincy Williams. And I would like to see the the opposite. I'd like to see Quan Alexander getting 90% of snaps, Quincy getting 50. I want Quincy on the field. I want him playing because I like the way he hits. I like the energy that he brings. And I like the guy. But Quan Alexander, to me, is the guy that should be getting the lion's share of the of the snaps and brings a little bit more. And perhaps in that play, had the roles been reversed, maybe Quan Alexander would have gotten to that angle, would have made the play. Only time will tell. But I've had my issues with Quincy Williams's rawness, as I always refer to it, for the last two years. Quan Alexander so far has done really nothing that horrible and has mostly impressed me. So I'd like to see more until I start feeling like, all right, maybe he doesn't have it. Obviously the team, they see him in practice. They know what they have in both players. So who am I to say? That's just my thought on the linebacker position. We're not getting anything yet. Like no Homs and Nasraldine. There's no Jamie and Sherwood. Marcel Harris, he had you know a special teams play where he gets a bad personal foul. But we're not really seeing any other linebackers right now. I think Jamie and Sherwood is developing nicely and one day will play well. But hopefully... C.J. Mosley is healthy for all 17 games. We don't ever have to see Jamie and Sherwood step step in there. And, uh, yeah, so going over to cornerback, big name last week, Sauce Gardner, had a huge game last week. This week, not the same. Jacoby Brissett was pretty comfortable in the pocket, and he was thrown to Amari Cooper, who was lined up on Sauce's side a few times. For the most part, as far as I know, Sauce Gardner is going to line up on the right side, if you're looking at the defense from the quarterback's vision, Sauce Gardner will be on the right. DJ Reed will be on the left. Michael Carter will be where he needs to be in the slot when he comes out of the field. So Sauce Gardner staying on the right side. They put Amari Cooper over there a bunch. Cooper had a really nice game in this. He had nine catches for 101 yards on 10 targets. Not all of those were credited to Sauce Gardner in coverage. Touchdown, I don't think, was either. But obviously, Sauce did not have the same week that he had in week one. He didn't play bad. He was in tight coverage on a few plays. And... For the most part, I feel good about it. But Amari Cooper is a different level than what we had last week against like a Rashad Bateman, James Proch, Devin Duvernay. This was next level. Amari Cooper is one of the best route runners in the league. Jacoby Brissett was very comfortable in the pocket and can throw a clean, precise ball. So it was good. It was a good, humbling experience for Sauce Gardner to remember like, listen, he didn't give up any touchdowns. He didn't have a horrible game, but it can be better. And there are ballers in this league, and it's not going to be a cakewalk for him every week. He's got to get it back. I think he will. We're going to see what he can do against the Bengals. That's going to be a very hard contest as well. But we're going to see what we got there. Sauce Gardner did get injured for a few plays when the uh, Browns were getting towards the red zone and in the red zone. Brandon Eccles came in because Bryce Hall was a healthy scratch in this game. So Brandon Eccles, and I think it was a speed thing because potentially their third receiver, Anthony Schwartz, runs like a 4-2-7. So potentially you want to have a guy that also runs a 4-2-7 and Brandon Eccles is the matchup guy. Bryce Hall is closer to like, or five or something. I don't actually know what his 40-yard time was, but he's nowhere near as fast as Eccles. So I think they wanted to get a little bit more speed in this game, considering neither of them can tackle very well. So Eccles is on the field when Sauce goes down. He makes two really awesome plays, two incomplete passes thrown his way as Stefanski and Jacoby Brissett try to take advantage of Eccles being on the field. He has a really nice pass deflection in the end zone covering the tight end and gets off the field, forces a field goal, Jets are only down 14 to 17, keeps the game close. So awesome, awesome fill-in work from Brandon Eccles. You look at DJ Reed, and I struggled to find a defensive player of the game. He was our defensive player of the game last week. And at the end of the day, he's our defensive player of the game this week as well. And there's a couple reasons why. 
DJ Reed tackles as a cornerback at such a high level. I know he had one bad missed tackle in the backfield, but one of the tackles that he had on the left side of the field, wrapping up Nick Chubb's legs when Chubb had a basically guaranteed touchdown, 20 yards of daylight in front of him in the end zone. And DJ Reed wraps up those ankles, hit another huge hit, hit on the running back that caused him to do a somersault, jumping, fired up. The guy had basically nothing thrown against him on the left side of the field. Donovan Peoples-Jones in this game hit one target in the whole game, and it was on the right side. I mean, that left side of the field was quiet. DJ Reed was tackling well. I don't know what PFF gave him as a grade. I don't know what the fans are going to find on the film. But at the end of the day, DJ Reed is one of the best defensive players on this team. He makes plays. He tackles well. He covers his guys. He doesn't get burned. We've played two games so far, and I love what I see from him. He is a guy that I was not super high on coming into the season, but now two games in. One good defensive performance against the Ravens, one bad defensive performance as a team against the Browns, and DJ Reed is one defensive player of the game in both games, in my opinion. He is playing at a level higher than really anybody else on the field on a lot of plays, and I'm really happy to have him on our team. So, DJ Reed is defensive player of the game. Two weeks in a row. Call it a streak, baby. Let's go. Michael Carter was mixed in here and there. He had a couple tackles. Nothing real noteworthy there. At safety, I wasn't really impressed with Joyner or Whitehead. Coverage was loose. The tackling was ineffective. They missed some tackles. Safety, I think Whitehead's going to be just fine. Um, I don't know about the other side. (laughs) Tony Adams played one snap on special teams, I believe. It was ineffective. He also had a bad snap on a kickoff coverage on special teams. So a guy that we liked is an undrafted, you know, kind of an underdog story. He probably isn't ready right now to play really good minutes in case we were thinking in the back of our head like put Tony Adams on the field all right we saw him for one snap and it was a completed pass against him for like 17 yards I'm good for right now let him keep learning the guy obviously has some ability I mentioned last week that in uh punt cover it no punt returning it was Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed in punt return guarding the Gunners my dad didn't like the coverage this week Tony Adams was out there which is actually something that I said the Jets should try and we saw him out there so Punt return game was still strong. We'll see if he was a, an impact on that, at least guarding the Gunners. But not a great game there. And then another guy that played only one snap, Ashton Davis. You remember Ashton Davis, the guy that couldn't tackle anybody? Horrible angles. If the ball was thrown his way, it could hit him in the hands. It could hit him in the face bask, but he wasn't going to catch it. That Ashton Davis played one single snap on the very last play for the Cleveland Browns, as they're 15 yards away from Cade York target range to kick a field goal to win the game. And Ashton Davis comes up, lines up behind everybody else playing a center field role, watches Jacoby Brissett's eyes, stays at that target field goal line. The ball is thrown. He jumps the route, picks it off, slides smartly, then takes a knee. Again, just in case the slide wasn't enough, still Peoples-Jones comes over and tries to hit the ball out. I don't know what the hell that was about. Obviously a little bit of sour grapes. But Ashton Davis, to make that play in one snap, I can't tell you what his body of work is going to be for this season. I can't tell you that if you put him out there for 20 snaps, he's not going to get burned on 19 of them. But I do know that he played a special teams role in this game, and he did his job, and it was awesome to see. And he's trending up right now because one of one was incredible. It was game ceiling. He could have dropped that ball. Some people would crumble under the pressure and find themselves, you know, hitting the ground like, oh, I had the game right there. Ashton did it. He smartly took the slide, took the knee. Jets win. Way to go, Ashton Davis. 
Looking at the special teams side of the ball, Braxton Berrios is so cool. Braxton Berrios is the league leader in punt return average at 15.3 yards per punt return. That's the highest in the entire NFL. A good returner, you look for like nine, is like the solid, I'd say, median line, maybe 10. 15.3 is awesome on punt returns. He leads the league. He was the first team all-pro punt returner, kick returner last year. He's also fifth in the league in kick return average if you take out guys that have only had, I mean, there's a couple guys that have had like one kickoff return. Devin Duvernay, for example, had one for 103 yards. He hasn't had enough returns to get that number down to a, a realistic number. It's just been the one. A couple other guys had like one for 37. If you take out people that only one return, anybody that's had two, three, four, up to 10, Braxton Berrios has the fifth best kick return average also. He is playing at a ridiculously high level. We love him. He was part of the special teams unit that just absolutely blew our minds impressive. Greg Zerline, who should have been in the doghouse last week after a really bad game, drills a 57-yarder when we need points. He drills that kick. Amazing. He's perfect on extra points. He made the game-winning point 30-30. to He had to make that extra point. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, like, after he got that touchdown, like, shit, he could still miss this, and we could go to overtime, and this could be a nightmare. But he drills that. Perfect pinpoint. Ice in his veins. Let's go. He had kickoffs out of the end zone. Loved what I saw. Braden Mann, that guy is our special teams player of the game. He has to be. Braden Mann was incredible in this game. And it wasn't necessarily punting. He had a really bad punting game last week. And he had a really nice punt this week. One went inside the five-yard line. Really nice punt from Braden Mann. Love to see that. But for him to pick up a fourth down on a 17-yard pass to a very covered Jeff Smith. Not the most, you know, comfortable receiver on the field. Covered early. Had to do shimmy shakes to go out. Braden Mann hits him perfectly. Picks up the fourth down conversion. And the Jets score a touchdown on that drive to Brees Hall. Incredible. Then, on top of that, Braden Mann does the onside kick that this thing was a thing of beauty, folks. The Browns lined up more players on the right side of the field than the left because this is behind the kicker looking at the Browns. Um, Because the way Braden Mann was lined up, it looked like the ball was going to be kicked to that right side. So they lined an extra guy up over there. The Jets have a slight man advantage on the left side. They also have like a center fielder playing a little bit back than everybody else on the line who's going to watch which way Braden Mann goes to kick it. When Braden Mann starts running as if he's going to kick it to the right, that center fielder runs to the right as well. So now you've got a nice mismatch on the left side. Every Jet knows it's going there. Braden Mann hooks his leg, kicks it the way that it looks like he's not going. Totally awkward looking, but it goes hitting on its side. It goes exactly 11 yards. We've got Will Parks gets there first, hits Amari Cooper, gets to the ball, Flips it back in bounds. It was about to go out of bounds. Justin Hardy's coming in like a heat-seeking missile the whole way. Special teams captain gets on the ball. He said in an interview, once I touched it, it wasn't getting away from me. The Jets have the ball. We recovered an onside kick with, with the new rules. Never happens. Braden Mann played at a god-tier level as a punter could and was a major reason that we won the game. Absolutely major. Like, the whole way through, special teams saved this team. And Braden Mann was the best one of them all. He's our special teams player of the week. Super happy for him after being kind of on the chopping block. Jets were trying out punches. I know Braden Mann was a little banged up. Maybe bruised ego. Not so sure. But they were trying out punters. Braden Mann is here. And he shouldn't go anywhere. Not after that performance.
So that is what I have for the special teams side of the ball. The last order of business is just to do a quick Bengals preview. And the Bengals, we beat them last year. It was like 34 to 31. It was the Mike White game. He ended up throwing like 400 yards, won the Nickelodeon award. It was all this crazy week. A lot of excitement on the Jets. Um, whole franchise really winning that game. But this year could be different. We're 1-1. One one. It's a better record than they have. They're currently 0-2. They're coming off two losses. One to the Steelers and Mitch Trubisky. The other to the Cowboys and Cooper Rush. Not great. The game's going to be played this Sunday, 1 p.m. at MetLife on CBS. It's going to be, I think, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis on the call, which is actually a better team than we had this past week. Jay Feely and Sparrow Didis was not the uh, dream team. I said we're going to be getting a lot of those, like, you know, E and F teams. But this is, like, the C team, probably. Ian Eagle is good. I don't love Charles Davis. I think he sounds like he's reading from a script all the time, even though he's just talking. Um, it's really awkward to me. He's, like, the way he speaks is exactly the way he reads the script and plays for Madden. And I don't know. It just seems super unauthentic. But Ian Eagle is the man, and I think he likes the Jets, and I'm happy to have him on the call. So... The Bengals are currently four-and-a-half-point favorites as the Jets are at home. So Vegas is giving them, like, you know, six points, six-and-a-half points, depending on what they give the uh, home field advantage in this. When you look at the coaching staff of the Bengals, it's not elite in any way. It's nothing like the Ravens had. Zach Taylor is the head coach. Offensive coordinator is Brian Callahan. Defensive coordinator is Lou Anarumo. These guys have been together since 2019, and they've had ups and downs. After the first year... The second after the first year, it was like we got to give him a second year. After the second year, it was like, all right, I mean, you guys are kind of doing better. We'll see what happens with a nice, healthy Joe Burrow. What we can do. Third year, obviously, they go to the Super Bowl, and it's like, all right, we're going to keep you around. I'm still not sold. I still personally think that that was a fluke that they made the Super Bowl. I'm not as high on Joe Burrow as everybody else in the world seems to be, and I feel like the Jets can win this game just like they did last year. When you look at the Bengals' offense. Joe Burrow, this is kind of like what you want to play and what your defense needs to be able to stop from a quarterback perspective. Joe Burrow takes sacks and looks for big plays. Right, He was six sacked 51 times last year, which might have been a league high. They revamped their offensive line. They tried to change the pieces all across the board. They had Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, Lael Collins, these guys from good teams like the Patriots, Bucks, Cowboys offensive lines, trying to bring these guys in here. They pay them money. He's been sacked 13 times through two games. He's on pace to be sacked 111 times. That's insane. Joe Burrow takes sacks like nobody else, and you can blame the offensive line, and a lot of it is on the offensive line. You can't just piece together a whole new offensive line and expect everybody to have perfect chemistry right away. The Jets pieced a lot of guys together. They didn't have perfect chemistry. But... Joe Burrow holds the ball for a long time. He likes to look downfield. He likes to throw big old bombs to Jamar Chase. He likes to find these big, nice, flashy throws. He likes to get it down the sidelines, middle of the field, find T. Higgins, but it comes at a cost. He doesn't look quick enough. He doesn't make decisions fast enough, and he throws interceptions as well. I mean, the guy's got, what, three touchdowns, four interceptions this year so far? He's lost two games to Cooper Rush and Mitch Trubisky. I understand that he has elite arm talent when he's standing back in the pocket. Guys are open. He can throw an absolutely beautiful ball right on the money to the guy. But he doesn't process things as quick. He doesn't move very well in the pocket. He waits a little bit too long, and the Jets can get after him. He's averaging seven, six and a half sacks against him per game. The Jets aren't getting anything near like that, 
with their defensive line, but they've got a ton of dogs there and a deep rotation. I'd like to sack him. I think we have to be able to sack Joe Burrow three times. we got to be able to do that. And the other thing that we have to do is make sure there's no big, giant, bomb, deep plays against us because he's going to be looking for Jamar Chase to get deep. He's going to be looking for T. Higgins to get deep. And we know that that's kind of the weakness of this Jets defense right now. I mean, obviously we had a lot of struggles and problems against the Browns, but the safeties and the miscommunications in the zone, specifically with like LaMarcus Joyner, could be an issue. So if Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed can do really well against Chase and Higgins and make Burrow stand in the pocket, get sacked, maybe we can get our hands on some balls. The only other option they have is to hand the ball off to Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon historically is a pretty good running back. But this year, the guy's got 46 carries and a 3.0 yard per carry average. They're absolutely hammering him, and it's not working. They're losing these games, too. They're not, like, winning games and running the clock out. It's like they're trying to find something on offense because the passing game is a nightmare. But they run the ball 46 times. Brees Hall, Michael Carter, the only two running backs for the Jets to carry the ball, have combined for 30 total carries. Joe Mixon alone has 46, and that team hasn't won a game. Not super efficient. And he's got 10 receptions, so it's not like he's not a factor in the passing game. Samaje Pirine's his backup, not super scary there. But if the Jets can keep him to like three yards a carry, just like everybody else has so far this year, and they can put it in Joe Burrow's hands and stop the deep ball, also make sure there's nothing like a really easy security blanket to Tyler Boyd or Hayden Hurst, the tight end. Nothing like that, super easy in the middle of the field, kind of like we were giving to the Browns this past week. They can be just good enough. They're going to get some big plays on defense. Jacoby Brissett is like a make sure he doesn't get sacked, make sure he doesn't throw interceptions and just try to win the game type of guy. Joe Burrow is the exact opposite. Joe Burrow wants to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. That's his goal coming in. And he is willing to throw for 150 yards, get sacked eight times, and throw four interceptions to do so. If that's what it takes for him to get that big old game, he's got to stand back there. He's got to make those big throws. Feast or famine, baby. Let's hope it's a famine and the Jets are feasting. I would love to see them absolutely crush Joe Burrow in this game, and I think they can. There's also a scenario where Joe Burrow just stands back and delivers dimes to Jamar Chase, who, like, exploits Sauce Gardner in his first year, and it's like, okay, Sauce is going to get there. Don't blame him, but this is an elite, you know, who knows. But um, So that's the Bengals' offense. When you look at the Bengals' defense, they're actually playing all right when you look statistically in terms of their performances, what they're giving up in the running game, what they're giving up in the passing game, but they've only played... Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush. Neither one of those Cowboys or Steelers teams have been super dominant in the passing game or rushing game this season. Those are two of the teams, if you're a defense, that you would want to get right with. And I think the Jets are more dangerous than both of them. I think we have better receiving weapons than both of those teams. I think we have better running backs than both of those teams. Maybe we don't have the offensive line of the, of the Cowboys. We do have a better offensive line than the Steelers. This is going to be a big test for the Bengals. They have a pretty good pass rush with their defensive line. Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard coming off the edges. And then two nice guys in the middle, DJ Reader and BJ Hill. Those are two good players. It could be tricky to run. Got to try to get outside. Maybe use the pass rush of Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard against them. They've got decent linebackers, specifically with Logan Wilson, who's solid. I think cornerback is an area of weakness for the team, and we could potentially try to exploit that. If we can get some time in the pocket with the offensive line for Joe Flacco, to deliver to Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore. A lethal trio. If you can have time back there, you're throwing on Eli Apple and Shadobi Awuzie. 
two early round draft picks cast off from their teams that have had okay comebacks at times, but are really not that solid of players. When you're looking at like cornerback combos along the league, maybe Chidobi Awuzie is getting better. We'll see if he can keep it up this year, some of the stuff he did last year. But in my opinion, that's like two guys that you'd like to go up against, and Garrett Wilson should be better than either of them. I think Corey Davis is better than either of them and Elijah Moore. So they should be beatable. We just have to give Joe Flacco time to stand in the pocket and deliver and make sure those two sick safeties that they have don't take advantage because they got Von Bell, who's a veteran and very good, and they got Jesse Bates, who's one of the best safeties in the league. So you got to make sure those guys don't come in. They're not lurking, looking for a pick, looking for a forced fumble strip or something like that. Those guys are dangerous. Watch the safeties. Exploit the cornerbacks. Try to run specifically outside if you can. Stay away from B.J. Hill and D.J. Reed. Up the middle is going to be a little bit tricky. they got a good special teams unit. Their kicker, Evan McPherson, kind of took the lead by storm last year. He was a rookie, and he had some really nice kicks, specifically in the playoffs, and people are really high on him. If he can keep it up this year, he's on pace to be like considered one of the best kickers in the entire league. Um, but their return game, not super scary. Trent Taylor's going to be back on punts. The guy's got like an 8.5-yard per carry average and is not uh, a game-breaker. I think he had like a 20-yarder this year so far, but he's not like, let's just say he's no Braxton Berrios. They have something on their hands. We're going to be all right. My prediction in this one, because I'm not super high on the Bengals, I think they were a fluke. I think they're looking at the Jets as like, finally, we have our game that we can win. Total trap game. Jets come in. Home game. They didn't play great the first time when they went up against the Ravens at home. But this time, they're going to come out. They're on a roll. They keep rolling, and they win this game 27-19. to And I know, it sounds like I always predict the Jets win. Guess what? I predicted they win last week. And they did. I was right about that. The score, not so much. I said, I think, 23-16. to 16. The Jets won 31-30. to 30. This week, 27-19. to 19. Keep the Bengals down. Get that offense rolling. Get to 27 points. They can get higher than that. Like this week, 31 points. I'll take that every single time. There were a lot of games last year where we scored 10, 14, 16 points. Scoring 31 in the game, like we did against the Browns, is awesome. Let's keep it up. Let's keep rolling. New York Jets, can we get above 500 in September? Can we go to 2-1? and one? Can we get through this AFC North? And can we get through the Zach wilson this time with a winning record? That would be so freaking awesome for Joe Flacco, so awesome for this team, give us so much hope for the rest of the season, hope for this team, proof that Joe Douglas's plan and Robert Sala's plan and these rookies and everything is coming together and working. I can't wait for it. It's wedding weekend. Folks, keep in mind, I'm getting married on Saturday. The Jets are playing the following day at 1 p.m. I have no idea what kind of shape I'll be in, but I will put a podcast together. It'll also be audio only. Um, maybe it'll be 30 minutes. I don't know if I'll have watched the game two times. Yeah, Believe it or not, for work, I have a sales expo thing that I have to go to. It's in Gillette Stadium on Tuesday, podcast day of next week. I have to go to Gillette Stadium. I've never been there. Ever for any game. I've never been to Fenway. I've never been to Gillette. I've never been to the TD Garden. Um, I try to stay out of Boston. I try to stay out of those whole areas. I don't belong there, but I have an expo there. I got to go up. Maybe I'll leave a bag of poop somewhere, but I got to then drive back from Boston and then do the podcast. I don't know how much time I'll have to prep for this thing, what kind of shape I'll be in. I'll put something together. If it's 30 minutes, it's 30 minutes, and then we'll move on. And we may be getting paycheck back for a couple more produced YouTube episodes that we can put out in the future weeks. I think if the Jets are winning, 
it's going to be a lot uh, a lot more exciting for her to come over and like us to do this whole thing. If the team is one and seven, it's going to be like, yeah, I think we're good just doing audio. But if we're winning and it's a fun time around the franchise and people are tuning in and people are liking the episodes and life is good, then yeah, we're probably going to keep rolling with them at least for this season and see what happens. So that's what's on the horizon. But I'll be back after the Bengals week, whatever shape I'm in, to talk about the Jets' hopeful win. And that's all I got for you tonight. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. And that's it. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. (laughs) 